Welcome to Guardian Talkback on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. And Scott, seems like for ages we've been in here. It has been for ages. I've, what am I meant to speak into? Is this working? I, I think we're fine. With, we're okay. off to a good start so okay. far. Okay. Just keep talking into the microphone. Step one and we're <laughs> off. It, it, look, I went out into the garden this morning just to out to the clothesline. Yep. It's still so squelchy and wet out there. Yeah, it's still very, very damp out there. Yeah, can't believe that. So we might have a quick tip about what to do with your lawn to try and make it a little bit sweeter. Yep. Also want to talk about yuzu fruit. It's a little citrus from Japan. Camellia Sasank was out in flower at the moment. And what autumn veggies to plant? Right. What was that fruit called again? The yuzu. Yuzu. Yuzu fruit. So we've got Tim from Elibana. And he's got a question about pruning the frangipani. Yeah, good afternoon, Tim. How can we help you? Good afternoon, Scott. Yeah, I have just a quick question for you. When's the best time to trim a frangipani tree. Yeah, look, getting towards that time now, because like most uh, deciduous trees, uh, they're best to prune uh, when Mm. the sap has stopped moving in them. So as you'll notice at the moment, most of the frangipanis are are dropping their leaves. Although Mm -hmm. when you drive around town, you still see some that uh, that aren't, which is always a bit strange. I never know how they're they're sort of holding on, but they do. Uh, Mm. So yeah, look, now is the time to do it. When you're pruning a frangipani, though, I'd, I'd always be careful about it. It does take them, you know, a lot of time to regain uh, their, their shape again. So in, in a way, you're best just to, you know, prune the, the frangipani very lightly or sort of go down, you know, quite deep on some branches, but leave others there that are going to provide, you know, that shape. And then maybe next year, go and give those branches a bit of a prune. So if you're trying to yeah. get it down to a certain size... It's almost something that you do over almost a two or three year period just to maintain the shape of the plant. Yeah, it's not that big at the moment. It's in a pot, but it's just starting to sort of cringe on the driveway a bit. So I just, yeah, I didn't want to take too much off. Just, you know. Yeah, look, they they are very slow to, to come back. So, yeah, you yeah. just need to be really, really careful about it. Look, the other thing with frangipanis at the moment is, uh, you know, if they have dropped their leaves, they've had uh, the rust really badly this year. So uh, make sure you're yeah. cleaning up all the leaves around the plant. Uh, you can drench with a fungicide as well if you want to in the soil right. around it just to try and stop that rust coming back. But it has been very, very bad this year, so important to clean up the leaves. Oh, okay. So that causes problems, yeah. Yeah, right. you notice mm-hmm. that that uh, that sort of yellow rust that gets on the underside of the leaves, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from about February through until now, until they lose their leaves. Yeah, it's, it's quite debilitating for the plant, but uh, fortunately down here the leaves do drop off quite quickly, so we don't notice it as much, but uh, best to try and keep it under control if you can. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Good on you, See Tim. See you, Scott. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. We've got Lynn now from Cessnock. She's got a question about pruning... Croton? The Croton, yes. The croton. Not, not the Crouton, the Crouton. The Crouton. That you have in your soup. Soup. Yeah, but, but no, it's the Crouton. Have it in salads as well. Oh, yes, you can. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Lynn. How can we help you? Um, I've, it's got quite... My Crouton was small when I got it. I bought it from Bunning. But it's grown about three times bigger. I'm wondering if you can prune them back. Yes, you certainly can prune them back. But uh, where, where are you at? I'm at Cessna. Okay, so we're going to get a bit bit cold, maybe a bit of a, a frost as well, um, yeah. you know, through winter. When you're pruning a croton, because they are a semi-tropical plant, you know, more so, uh, you know, Coffs Harbour North, 
I, I think here in, in winter, I'd be very careful about pruning it because at the moment, you've got some really nice, uh, you know, solid hardened off leaves on the plant. And if you were to go and prune it now, uh, you might get some new growth coming through and that's just going to burn off uh, as it gets colder and colder. So I think with a lot of those, you know, tropical, subtropical plants, in a way you are best to leave them uh, through until, you know, we know we're not going to get a frost, you know, mid-August again uh, and, and then give them a prune back then. I want to know too, it's sitting like I'm in a retirement village and we've got a like a awning out the front. I've got it sitting out from beside my front door. Do I bring that in in winter time or do I just leave it out there? Look, how long have you had it now, Lynn? Uh, about three months. Oh, okay. So it's only a sort of a young little tucker. Uh, look, yes. I would be bringing it in uh, under some cover. Uh, mm-hmm. and out of any sort of cold southerly wind as well because that will burn it back. Uh, and then once uh, you know it starts to warm up again, mid-August, September, then you can put it back out into its original position. But stopping yeah. the, uh, the cold or the frost settling on the, uh, the leaves will uh, definitely stop any burning. Right, so that seems that it's very prone to, to rot, frost. Frost and stuff. Oh, yes, look, ab- absolutely. Uh, yeah, look, crotons, acalifers are another sort of subtropical plant that you see around here with the red leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't like the frost settling on them. They don't like cold southerly winds. So if you can move those sort of plants around, uh, and mm-hmm. if you've got them in pots, uh, look, yeah, they will definitely do a lot, lot better for you. Right. So when do I bring it in, say, at the end of this month or...? I would think so. Uh, look, I, I was up early this morning. I, I saw, you know, a little bit of a dew and, and stuff starting to settle on the grass again. So we know those colder nights are coming along. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I would think by the end of this month, you'd probably want to uh, have it moved inside or, you know, in under your cover, uh, in but, under the yeah. veranda to stop that cold settling upon it. Yep. Okay. Thank you for your information. Not a problem. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Lynn. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And we've got Regina from Merriweather and she's calling about her roses. Good afternoon, Regina. How can we help you? Hi, good afternoon, Scott. I've got this uh, rose that's called Hybrid Tea Tropical Sunset. Yes. I have for three years, and it flowered the first two years, and then it seems to be dead, but there's a little sprout sprouting out on the side, but it doesn't look like a stem. It's just a, well, is it dead? Oh, that yeah. Look, that doesn't sound good. Um, but let's let's just talk our way around it and see what we might be able to, um, uh, you know, work out for you. Uh, so hybrid teas are really tough uh, as a rose. Very tough plant. Uh, tropical sunset. That's got some peaches and yellows in it from memory. Uh, also a really yeah. nice flower. Yeah. Uh, now. At the moment, probably not the best time to work out if the plant's going to be, you know, alive or dead because it's becoming dormant at the moment, um, you know, and it's almost rose pruning time in about a month and a half or so. Uh, mm-hmm. So, look, not the best time to, to work that out at the moment. What I would do, though, is get some secateurs. And are the uh, the branches still green, would you say, or have they turned really no, hard and brown? It's brown. I went to pull it up, but it wouldn't come out, so it's still probably... Alive, I don't know. Still still clinging on there for you. (laughs) Now, when you say you've got some uh, little green things or shoots coming out, where are they coming out from exactly? It's coming out from right down the bottom of Uh, the main branch. Okay, so it's coming down from that vertical stem right down the bottom near the soil, is it? 
Yeah. Okay. Look, I, I think the Rose probably uh, has, uh, you know, sort of flown the coop on you, unfortunately, um, because what's happening, that's actually uh, some shoots coming from the wild root stock that they uh, graft or bud roses onto. So I'm thinking that the actual rose above the graft is dead now and it's just coming from that wild one. So, look, yes, I think, Regina, probably time to pull that one out. Great time in your garden centres at the moment, though, because all their new season roses will be coming in in the next month or so. So you're going to get a fantastic choice of uh, some new uh, you know, rose plants to go and have a look at. Um, give Tropical Sunset another try. It's, it is a nice uh, rose. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I, I think by the sounds of that, it is coming from below the graft. Uh, so, unfortunately, the rose is... Uh, not a very healthy rose and time to pull it out. Oh, well, thank you so much. I didn't want to pull it out until I find out. Thanks a lot. Okay. Good luck with the next one, Regina. Thank you. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Well, we've got Jenny now from Spears Point, and she's got a question about canna lilies. Yes, canna, canna. Well, I say canna, canna. Canna, canna. canna. Yeah, well, we can. <laughs> hey, Jenny, how can we help you? I'm good, thanks, Scott. How are you? Yeah, pretty well. Um, Scott, I've got these beautiful canna lilies that I've been working with for years and this year they've finally done some good for me but they're starting to die back now how do I cut those back or do I cut them back? Oh look I wouldn't worry about cutting them back just just let them die back naturally at this time of year as it gets colder they do you know sort of look a bit ugly and, and, and die back on you so yeah look don't be concerned about that have you got the taller growing ones or the, the little dwarf ones? With no the... they're the taller ones. Yeah okay yeah look um, and you've got them in pots or? Uh, you... them in pots what's the sort of position to face them in because I've moved them this year and the ones that I've got that are sort of, of they're doing it better different ones are doing better so what is the best position to put them in yeah I, I would get them out of the southerly wind uh, you know as it gets colder and colder they won't like that I see you're at Spears Point so uh, we know the southerly charges up from the bottom of the oh, lake yeah. yeah very much so yes but I've got them protected from that southerly that generally um, they will be facing north. Great, okay. And they also the... large wall, sort of, and they are protected from the southerlies with that. Yep, that sounds really good if you've got them up against a nice warm wall, protected from those winds. And as we know, once we get, uh, you know, a little bit later in the year, the, the cold, you know, dry westerlies come in as well. Oh, so yes. always important to try and get your canna lilies out of that. Uh, because they they are a you know a, a tough plant, but they're a fairly soft plant as well, and they will get whip, yeah they will get whipped around by the wind. And, and I take it they don't mind wet feet. I remember as a, as a child, my grandmother had them, and they were outside her kitchen window, and her drain always seemed to be it always seemed to be soggy there, and they seemed to do marvelously well. Yeah, and look, that's where they do, you know, they do do very well. And that, that's my memory of them as well, being in sort of boggy spots, almost yeah. shady spots in the garden where the, the water's draining down to. So, yes, they do like those, you know, really wet type conditions. So for yours, you might even want to put a source of water under them if you've got them in a pot, uh, just so they can keep up so, yeah, soaking up that water. I have anything under them, but I might. I've got them just on one of those rolling stand things, but I might put something on it because, as you said, it, it's... Those westerlies will come ripping up the driveway and right up to and dry them out. <laughs> yeah, and the humidity drops. So if they've got something to, uh, you know, some moisture to suck up from down below, uh, yes, a good thing That's to do. A good thought. Thanks very much, Scott. Okay, thanks for the call, Jenny. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. It's Guarding Talk back on 2 and URFM. If you've got a question, 49216216. And we've got Andrew from East Brankston. He's calling about his clover. Hey, afternoon, Andrew. How can we help, mate? Yeah, good afternoon, Scott. Um... I'm really hoping you can give me a solution because um, the, the clover seems to be overtaking my lawn 
and it's really given me the manures. <laughs> the manure will help it grow as well, but I think we might be talking about a different one in this case. <laughs> Correct. Uh, look, have you been spraying it? Yeah, I have. I've tried, um, I've tried all kinds of different killers, um, but I was talking to a fellow and he mentioned ammonium sulfate or sulfate of ammonia or something. Yeah, um, yeah, sulfate of ammonia is the old-fashioned way to uh, get weeds out of the lawn. It essentially just burns the weed away. But yeah. if you're heavy-handed with it, mate, then it will just continue burning down through the grass and, right. and do a lot of damage. I think uh, sulfate of ammonia is probably better for broadleaf weeds, you know, where you see those you know, big sort of dandelion ones starting to take over. And you can just sprinkle a bit of sulfate in the middle of those and it sort of burns a core out of the middle and kills them. Uh, yeah. Look, un unfortunately, the only thing you can really do with the clover is keep on using the sprays. What, yeah. what it is important to do, though, is, and I think a lot of people do this, not saying you did, but they mow the lawn and then they go, oh, time to spray. And then all the foliage that's going to set, you know, that spray is going to settle on the clover has disappeared. Yeah. So yeah, it's. No, I always spray it before I mow. Yeah, um, And I give it a, give it a week or, or more sort of suck up the poison but yeah it doesn't seem to be doing very good and look that's the important thing to do give it that uh, five to ten days to absorb that in uh look always make sure you've got some sunny conditions i know now we're sort of not in those times so it's going to be difficult and you probably have been battling it as well with the you know the lack of sun we've had the rain um, you know the constant moisture the clover really loves that now, now the other thing you can do is put some sort of wetting agent you know you can even use a bit of detergent if you want to just to make right. it a bit stickier because you've probably noticed when you spray clover the, the the water droplets you know they beat up on there and almost roll off so if you've got something that makes it a little bit stickier just a touch of detergent it will actually help it cling onto the the leaf of the clover and sit there and then that's when it starts to burn down into it and be absorbed into the plant Oh, that's an idea. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll give that a go. Thanks very much, Scott. Okay, so, yeah, look, you can give it a try now if you want to, but I think uh, the most important thing is, again, oh, you know, like start of August again, when it, you know, comes out of dormancy and starts to have a bit of a run, give it a really good yep. spray then. Yeah, okay, great. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Bye. Cheers, bye. And we've got Trevor from Cameron Park, and he's got some worms in his lawn. Good afternoon, Trevor. Worms in your lawn. What's been happening? Oh, well, after all this rain, Scott, my front and back lawn is just dirt coming out of the, out of the grass. It's just these wriggly, wriggly um, pieces of ground, like from where the worms um pushing it up. Ah, look, okay, so you've just got earthworms in there, have you? Yeah, yeah. Look, pe people ring up about this a lot, and they they don't like the appearance of it. But when you've got worms in your lawn, it's actually a really good thing. It means that you know your ground's being aerated. Uh, you know, their little worm juices coming out. You know, the other end of the worm and helping feed the grass. Yes, but my, I mean, I had a beautiful lawn, but now I've got it's all uneven. It's just it's just blobs of damn earth coming up yeah. out of the ground everywhere. I, I I would not say go and get rid of them in any way. I will always just say, look, leave them there and it is going to stop raining to the extent that it has been and that's the reason why it's looking so um, bad for you at the moment because as the we get so much rain, the, the water table lifts up for them and they just keep on coming up to the surface and, and spitting out um, their stuff because they, they can't you know survive down there deeper where it's so wet. That, that's the only reason you're seeing it. So... 
look, for, for my money, I'd just keep on mowing it as normal, um, you know, just let it sort of go back into the soil because they are very, very good for your grass, very good for your lawn. Uh, it just means, mate, that you've got a, a very healthy garden out there. Oh, my back's lawn, you can't walk on it. Oh, no. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, well, look, you know, that, that might be time to put in a couple of, you know, pavers or stepping stones out to the clothesline <laughs> or whatever. But re- really, it, it, it's just an indication that you've got, uh, you know, a fantastic garden and, and really healthy lawn with all those worms in there. And to mow the lawn, I just have to, I, I won't pick it up with the ketchup because I'll, I'll pick up too much of the the soil with it so i'll just mulch it back into the yeah just just give it a, a sort of a gentle uh, gentle mow when it all dries out a little bit and it, it'll almost just sort of blow it and flatten it back down and it'll actually help feed the uh, the grass a lot more uh, right, you know right. with those worm uh, huh? you know the worm juice that's coming out uh, yeah. look a very good thing for your garden mate that's the word that's the word i was looking for worm juice yeah, that's what we'll call it <laughs> <laughs> the other thing scott it looks like a little clover and it has a tiny flower on it. Yeah, look, it, it's entirely possible it is clover that you've got there, Trevor. So uh, as we were just talking very, to... Very, very tiny, small leaves. Yeah, look, and there's, whole, there's lots of different varieties. So as we were just speaking to Andrew from up at uh, East Brankston, uh, he's got uh, you know, a bad clover problem at the moment. So uh, look, all I can suggest is that you uh, keep on spraying that. Um, always spray before you mow and leave the lawn then for about five to ten days for it to absorb in. Uh, yes, so you just go and get a clover killer. Bindi is one of those. Uh-huh. Uh, make sure you uh, mix it up according to the instructions. I also recommended to Andrew that we, uh, you know, put a little bit of, uh, you know, wetting agent or some detergent in there just to try and make that a uh, little bit stickier uh, so it actually sticks to the clover. But uh, look, a good time. If you're going to do it, uh, try and keep it under control now yep. and then again in August uh, just to give it a, a further spray then. I've got a heck of a lot of it right now. It's, it's coming up everywhere. I think I've done damage with uh, with the whippersnapper. Yeah, look, so look, very uh, important not to mow. Um, try and get to it now if it is spreading around. Uh, yeah, give it a good spray. We don't want any rain, uh, you know, for about that five-day period afterwards either, so try and pick your time. I know it's difficult at the moment. It is indeed. Yes. Right. And what would you suggest? I've got my hedges on both sides of the driveway, and it's 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 getting like a, a I don't know how you how you describe it, um, like a spider web type of um, uh, growth there, and it looks like there's something inside the spider web, and yeah. my, my eyes not it's getting patchy and dying in place. Ah, okay, so it is getting patchy, yellowing off. Would you say? No, it's going brown. It's, yeah. Yeah. Now, look, they're, they're, with with, uh, with moraes, they can get scale on them. So you best just have a look at some of those yellowing leaves and see if they've got any, you know, like little, turn the leaf over and have a look and see if they've got any scale insects growing yeah. on there. They're just like hard little nodules you'll find there. The yeah. other thing moraes can get, and you will see them doing uh, what yours is doing, is they'll get a mite infestation. Uh, so unfortunately, you have to go and, and uh, down to your garden centre and get some sort of miticide. There's uh, also eco oil if you want to use that. It's a nice natural one, won't harm the bees. Yep, yep. Uh, but you have to give it a really good spray, uh, you know, misting all in underneath uh, to try and keep those mites under control. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> You're going to be doing a bit of spraying, I should imagine, Trevor. Oh, gee. Oh, well. All right then, Scott. Okay, thanks oh, for the call, right, mate. I've got four citrus trees out the back and... Uh, 
my oranges are splitting. They've got too much water. They get, they've got too much water. Yeah, that, that's a big problem at the moment. Uh, this three rain just won't go away. These navels, there's three little kilos. That's how big they are. Oh, very good. You'll get plenty of juice out of them then. A lot of juice. Yeah. <laughs> right, thanks for the call, Trevor. All right. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We've got Stephen from Fern Bay, and he's got a question about grevilleas. Good afternoon, Stephen. Yeah, how are you going? Yeah, good. How can we help, mate? Well, mate, I've done my son's lawn a while back. I started my garden a while back and put all the plants in, blah, blah, and I can't get the grevilleas. Um, I end up a big golden one I wanted down the back, and uh, I went and bought the right soil, you know, the nature, the proper soil for... Mm-hmm. Um, and then they told me to put... Because it's got... Uh, um, clay sort of underneath, but I dug all that, put a bit of a drain in because I'm on a slope. And it will get gangbusters for a couple of months, and uh, then most of the leaves sort of just fell off. Yeah, so uh, too much water, or I, I think that's going to be the problem, Stephen. But I, I noticed you're you're up at Fern Bay. No, I my, son, my son's at Burrigal in that new estate, but it's just clay, clay, and clay. Oh, and rock. Okay, so yeah, look, I was going to say, but Fern Bay, you'd almost be able to, uh, you know, grow yeah. grevilleas left, right, and centre. But yeah, out of Burrigal, right. yes, that's going to be a big issue out there. Um, so you've done the right thing. You've tried to dig out as much as you can to, uh, you know, provide some drainage for those plants. But uh, what's happened, I think, after a couple of months, the root system spread out. Um, gone through that nice soil that you've put down and then all of a sudden they've hit the clay soil. They just won't like that at all, grevilleas. They love sandy, uh, free draining soil. So it might just not be the appropriate plant to put out there. Um, I mean, you could use clay breaker, gypsum. You can dig and dig and dig. But uh, in the end, if you've got that uh, very heavy clay base, the grevilleas are are probably going to stretch their root system down into it at some point in time. That's right when they'll right. become unhappy and they'll curl up their little toes. Yeah, and, and I did put that gypsum down. I didn't know anything about it, but someone told me to put it down. So I put that down first. I thought maybe it would hit the gypsum. It would knock it back, but that wouldn't be the case, just the clay. Yeah, it's just hit the clay, I should imagine. Uh, look, yeah, mate. mate, I'll be growing the uh, grevilleas up at your place and uh, cut the flowers and take them down for your son at Burrigal. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay, thanks for your help. Okay, thanks, Stephen. Bye-bye. Yeah, mate. Got time for a couple more calls. We've got Phil from Kitchener. And he's got snail in his fruit trees. Hey, afternoon, Phil. How can we help you, mate? Uh, my fruit trees, I've got half a dozen fruit trees, and they have got hundreds of little tiny snails on them, and they're wrecking the fruit. They're actually eating the fruit, are they? Not more so than the leaves. Yep, the skins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that's, now, that's going to be a difficult one once they're already up in the tree. Um, you know, because your typical snail baits aren't going to work for you. You can get some snail sprays, but as far as spraying all over the plant, I think that's a little bit dicey. The only place you might be able to spray is along the the branches of, of the trees, uh, and, and that would probably help um, because then they won't be able to move too much. Then eventually they'll, they'll get on that. They won't like it. They'll curl up and fall to the ground. So I think those snail sprays might be all right, but not on the foliage of the plant. Um, yeah, look, if, if anyone else has got any other uh, sort of ideas, I'm happy to hear about that to try and get, uh, you know, snails off uh, some, you know, very established trees. That sounds uh, like it's going to be difficult for you, Phil. Great. Thanks, mate. Yeah, sorry, sorry I couldn't give you any more than that. But uh, once they're up there in the branches, uh, I, I think only those, uh, those sprays are going to work for you. Okay, well, we'll give them a try. Yeah, okay, doke. Thanks for that, mate. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Irwin from Fullerton Cove, and he wants some advice on planting what types of fruit trees in a paddock that once had cows. 
Oh, I were when you had had some cows running around, did you? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, they're not the problem. But um, what I wanted to know is, I've got a paddock and I've got like um, it's half an acre. Yes. And uh, I'm growing a variety of trees. I just want to know: is there anything that doesn't grow with anything else? Oh, look, no, not necessarily. I'd be more inclined to think about if you've had a lot of, you know, cows in there and a lot of cow manure, then the soil might be slightly acidic. Uh, so you're going to want to look for plants that, uh, you know, grow in those sort of conditions. Citrus trees, uh, they're not going to do so well. They they prefer a slightly alkaline soil. Uh, and if you're at Fullerton Cove as well, is it fairly damp underfoot? It is, but I'm, I'm, I've uh, planted them in the higher... Right, okay. So they're a bit, little bit out of the water and that. Yeah, but okay. So citrus, uh, if you've got them planted up a little bit, uh, that might be taking them out of the alkaline, uh, sorry, the acidic soil as well. Uh, see yeah. how you go with them. Just keep on feeding them poultry yeah. manure. That's that's the way to go with citrus. They love it. Um, that was the next question. I've, I've just been cleaning the, the chook shed out. Uh, are, uh, citrus is all right for chook poo. Yep. What about some of the other trees? Uh, what other trees have you got there? Some other um, stone fruit or...? Well, I've just planted a plum tree. Yes. Uh, mulberry, macadamia, lavas. Yep. yep, okay. Well, look, with the macadamia, I'll probably steer clear of over-fertilising generally anyway. Uh, they don't like, you know, lots and lots of fertiliser. Um, you're just more... Well, like a native, are they? They are. They are actually a native nut, so they they do like you know native conditions. So I'll be more inclined to uh, to feed them with blood and bone or just a specific native fertilizer rather than heaps of you know sort of hot manures. Um, but as far as your other stone fruit goes, uh, look, they're going to love the 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 cow manure that's already been in the soil. Uh, you know, feel free to give them a sprinkling of poultry manure, but not overly, um, because it can be, you know, very rich in nitrogen, and then you're just going to get a lot of green leafy growth. So in a way, you might just, uh, you know, just be very selective and, and very gentle about the way you're fertilising. If you've had cows there, then there will be, a, you know, fairly rich soil, uh, you know, and acidic soil. So in a way, you're just going to be just complementing with some poultry manure now and again with those other plants, but not on the macadamia. Here's an unusual one. Yeah. Somebody give me a Davison plum. Yes. Now, they're, they're a native too, but they're rainforesty sort of things, are they? They are. So they're going to like, uh, you know, the, the damp conditions. Uh, but yes, you have to treat them as a native. Uh, look, I, I guess it's... Uh, you know they they will grow out in 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 the full sun if there's somewhere you can get them where you might get some dappled shade uh, a little bit better for them. Okay. Yep. That's about where they are. Okay. Excellent. Like the good news. Thank you. Uh, okay. That's really good. I think I've, I've just about covered it. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Guarding talk back on two and you RFM Scott shot. We're nearly out of time for another week, but what do you want to say before you left? I thought you were going to go to the Japanese. I was. I thought you were going to ask me to do some sort of insightful thing, but I will. It's just something off the cuff. But no, I was going to talk about uh, Yuzu. Uh, we can talk about it more fully next week as well. Uh, look, it's a fantastic uh, new... It's, well, it's a citrus that's been around for a long time, but we just seem to be discovering it here in Australia. Yep. Uh, you know, they have been growing it for 20 years or so, uh, but it's becoming more prevalent in cooking, uh, in cocktail making, apparently. Oh, right. Oh, yes, I think that's yes. where Scott might have actually yeah, picked up on picked, the idea. Picked up on this. Yes, and decided <laughs> we could talk about this. Uh, it Look, there are some medicinal qualities. It has three times more vitamin C than lemons. Oh, okay, right on. Yeah, so uh, we can talk about that more fully next week. Excellent. Scotch up. Thank you very much. We'll catch you again.
next Monday. Yes, absolutely. Just making sure there's no public holidays or anything? Or? No, I don't think there's anything in the way. All right. Scott Sharp, we'll catch you next week on Guarding Talkback on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>